Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager Podcast with me, Jenny Plant, from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow the existing client relationships so their agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode seven. I have a real treat for you today, particularly if you're an agency owner. I've managed to grab an hour in Spencer Gallagher's diary. Um, Spencer is in the middle of rewriting his book, Agency Nomics, who he wrote with his partner, Peter Hall. And in this chat, we discuss what makes a successful agency leader now and what successful agency leaders are doing differently to accelerate their growth. What he'd do differently today if he was starting out his agency what trends he's seeing in the agency landscape, and why you need to keep learning to keep yourself relevant. He also shares loads of fantastic, really useful tips, particularly if you're an agency owner or leader, and also if you're managing client relationships. So sit back, relax, and I will introduce Spencer in more detail. Enjoy. Spence, for those in the agency world, you need no introduction whatsoever. But for those of the audience who may not have heard of you or met you, you run one of the leading, well, the leading UK agency growth consultancies, Cactus. You're also co-founder of Cactus Academy, which is online training for agency leaders. You're also the author of the best-selling book, Agency Nomics, which is a phenomenal book for anyone growing an agency. And you also run the biggest global community for agency owners of the same name, Agency Nomics. And you're also the host of the vodcast Agency Phonics. So I'm thrilled because I know you advise companies, you're a non-exec, you do a lot of speaking gigs. So to get some time with you, because I know you usually sit on this side of the fence, it's an absolute delight for me. I'm absolutely thrilled. Just a short intro before I pass over to you to ask you to talk a bit about your history We obviously met a couple of years ago. And what struck me about you was, first of all, your energy, which is phenomenal. I just don't know how you get everything done, but also how you essentially adopted me into the Cactus and Agencynomics family, which I will be forever grateful for. And you've also gone on to trust me with many of your clients. So I just feel so at home in the community. I think you obviously attract a really decent, lovely type of person. And you've created this really supportive community, which is really active, really involved. And you just seemed so generous with everybody that you meet. So I would love you to share your journey with us because I obviously haven't mentioned the fact that you built a 20 million turnover agency and sold it. So I would love you to share your journey with us. Thank you. Well, that was a wonderful introduction. Thank you. And when I hear it back, I sometimes, I'm also thinking, wow, how do I find time to do all those things myself? (laughs) No wonder I'm so busy. If I had a complaint this week from someone who said, your PA, Abby, who you know very well, uh, has said, um, it's currently 58 days to get a meeting with you. (laughs) I'm not surprised. And I was trying to make the point that I actually look after about a hundred million pounds worth of agencies with a thousand staff. And I think people don't always realize what I do in my day job. Agencynomics is obviously something that I do as a bit of a charity, sort of social enterprise, pay it forward in my spare time. But yeah, I mean, a brief history of time. You know, I'm one of those kind of classic entrepreneur types, I think. You know, I left school at 16, 
no qualifications, left home at 16, didn't have the best start in life, you know, worked in clothes shops, selling clothes. And so life wasn't that good for me in the beginning. It wasn't like, you know, pure poverty, but put it this way, you know, brought myself up and, you know, life wasn't simple and had to be quite independent from a young age. And I don't know, like I just worked really hard at everything I did and I got some lucky breaks and I ended up at the age of about 27 getting made redundant. Uh, I went through three jobs in a year, got made redundant twice and decided that in my spare time, I'd been playing on this thing called the internet since about 93. So to give you an idea, Tim Berners-Lee came up with the uh, internet uh, HTML in, in 1991. So two years later, I taught myself to write websites. And after being made redundant, I from a purple shed in my mom's back garden, I started to build websites and I started to build at the time, what I thought was a web development company. And then about three years later, somebody walked into the business and went, I really love your agency. And I was like, what's an agency? (laughs) And then from that moment onwards, the business really, really grew quickly. So that's kind of briefly how I started. Obviously, I started building websites when it was a joke to build websites. Like if you told people you built websites in the year 2000, they'd laugh at you because it's a bit like cryptocurrency or, or Bitcoin today. And so you know, there were some tough times. I think we called ourselves new media agencies back then. And so, you know, cut a long story short, I won, I got a couple of big breaks. One of them was Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And I then became very big in sports. And I ended up building websites for people like the NFL, worked with Jamie and Andy Murray before they were, you know, big time, really. You know, Judy used to come down into the offices. So we did a lot in sport. We had, our sports was our niche. But we did end up working with other companies like we, we, Cancer Research, a big client. Before we used uh, iPhones and Samsungs, we used uh, BlackBerry. So BlackBerry or CrackBerry, if we used to call them, was our yeah. client. And so, yeah, I was very fortunate. Grew it organically, no investment. Deloitte Tech Fast 50 growing business. And it ended up in sort of 2008. Really, the big ad agencies had missed out on digital. If you remember back then, they would call the digital team in their agency, the dark arts department, or they had like a separate division with a different name that did digital. And a lot of big companies have missed out. They hadn't found a way to integrate digital into their advertising and marketing. So I, I sold the business very successfully. I was the only, only owner of the business. And at 37, I kind of retired, really. I sort of stopped working. And my last pitch in an agency, I share this story sometimes to me, was it was 63 hours with three hours sleep. And it was for a global business with Technicolor to do the rebrand and the global website development. And after kind of stopping work in 2010, I decided that I would never work or set foot in an agency ever again, because I was just so burnt out. But the reality was, after a year of sort of stopping working and, and having some time out, a lot of my old friends, my old competitors, my frenemies would ring me up and say, hey, listen, there's a new era needed for a non-exec that understands technology, not just that madman era. There were a lot of non-execs 10 years ago who were very much from the advertising and marketing traditional world, whereas I was very much from the new world because I've been there and done it and did it organically. I think there's a lot of connection there. So we started Cactus and that was nine years ago now. And it's been an amazing journey. You know, we've worked with a thousand agencies, as you said, written a book. And it's been a lot of hard work, but I'm really proud of everything we've achieved. You should be as well. It's a phenomenal achievement. What drives you now? What drives you to continue? Well, I think it's still the same thing. You know, I was a 16-year-old who left school with no qualifications. who left home at 16 and I felt a failure. And so I've always been driven by the fear of proving that I'm not a failure. 
you know, I've always wanted to be successful. In fact, even when I sold the business, I actually, I sort of fell off the top of Maslow's triangle and, and crashed down because I'd sold the one thing that had made me successful and I had nothing to show for it anymore necessarily. I obviously had a nice house and car and a lovely family and, you know, but I didn't really have something that I had built and had made, you know, I'd sold it. And so in a way I then had to sort of rebuild that. So the driver with Cactus all along is, I guess, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you could be one hit wonder, I guess, you know, you can build, you know, a lot of people say, oh, just because you build one business and sell it doesn't mean that you can do it again. Well, I think a couple of people said that to me. In fact, you just reminded me, there was a statistic that said something like, and this is true, like only 30% of people who build and sell a business go on to do it again. So I wanted to prove that I could do it again. And I think, you know, we've, we've done that through characters time and time again now through our clients and through the investments we've made. So, do you know, what? I love you've shared with that because I was just reflecting and I'm sure a lot of people hearing that very open story and really honest story will identify with that because I think many of us, like I didn't go to university. I mean, maybe in those days it wasn't so common, but that kind of drives me. And also I think you've got a shared love of personal development you're always reading, aren't you? I mean, you interviewed um, Daniel Priestley. Like yeah, you, I managed to get Daniel Priestley on my on my podcast. Amazing. So you're always developing yourself and your on your skills. I think. Yeah, it's funny because there were sort of two or three books along the journey that really helped me shape who I am. And when I say them, you just, you know, you'll laugh because they're the books that you probably see time and time again people always promoting and the first book actually was it wasn't the secret but it was i, I was discussing this this morning with someone it was a, a book with a red cover and it basically said how to be successful in life this is a 16 year old me going i'm earning 70 pounds a week selling clothes in fosters which is like top man in in a small town in surrey and my life's not looking great and i read this book i find it's actually so i, I left home with my mom at 15 my parents were divorced i went moved to my dad at dad's house and he had it in his just as i left home at 16 he had it on the bookshelf and it, it was something like it was either called how to be a millionaire or how to be successful some one of those books and i read it and it said you know close your eyes sit somewhere comfortable and imagine your life three years from now now look i listen i had no, nothing i had no qualifications so at this point i don't have anything other than this book telling me how i'm gonna i don't know do something with my life but I did it. I closed my eyes and I said, by the time I'm 20, I want to earn £20,000 a year, which bearing in mind from where I was, was quite an achievement. To give you an idea, I think sort of I was earning about £4,000, £4,500 a year. And that would probably be about the equivalent of about 10000 today. So 20 would probably be about, what, £40,000 today. I want to have a company car and I want to own my own house. And three years from that day, I bought my first house. I was 19 years old. Interest rates were 15%, not 1% like they are now, 15%. I got a first-time buyer's discount. I, for some reason, the visualization worked. Now, I don't know whether it was the manifestation or the secret or it was just the neuroscience, the fact that, you know, you achieve things, you know, human beings, where we draw our attention to, we focus and we achieve things. And, it, you know, it, who knows what the answer is? I still don't know. But what I do know is it worked. And so, the first lesson I learned was about visualization and uh, visualizing your future. And, and it's, even today, you know, every day I read out a, a daily gratitude list where I'm grateful for the outcomes that are going to happen to me. So that was the first one. The second one was how to win friends and influence people. And that gave me an ability at the time to be able to talk to anybody. 
I think I kind of had that anyway because I was in the bottom set for everything at school. So I hung around with the rough kids, but then I was reasonably sporty enough to know the wealthy kids. So I could kind of adapt up and down a little bit. That probably helps you in sales. But actually reading that book, you know, how do we find it? Maybe we realize what's the saying, you know, to be interesting, you have to be interested and just all of those techniques. And then lastly, it was the Think and Grow Rich, which really Mm -hmm. underpinned the first book. And you know, for those people, it's a book that was written in 1927, Think and Grow Rich. And the book was at the time, it just really struck a chord with me in many, many ways. So they were the kind of the early bits of reading I did. And what I found was because a lot of the learnings from those books really helped me, I realized that a real education in life actually starts the day you leave school, not the day you don't, you don't stop school and then just stop learning. You have to almost go, you know, and in fact, even I remember two, three years ago when digital technology started moving much more into distributed crypto, AI. You know, I went out every morning, walked 10 miles, well, between six and uh, 10K and six and 10 miles, like listening to audiobooks and podcasts around AI, machine learning, trying to make sure that I'm staying relevant and I'm learning new things. Yeah, so journey of learning has been really at the heart of everything I do. And do you think that's the secret of success for an agency owner? Because I'm sure there's agency owners listening to this thinking... I really would like to have whatever Spencer's got to accelerate my agency's growth. What do I need to be doing differently? So do you see when you meet so many, that the ones that stand out for you, you can see that they're going to be more successful. Are there any kind of traits? So the reality is, is that we're complicated people, human beings. And I think that I'm very fortunate in like a couple of my superpowers are able to sort of cut through. So where some people overly procrastinate or suffer from imposter syndrome or have, you know, barriers from psychological barriers from when they were younger, stage fright, whatever it may well be. I'm someone who always sees cut through. So I don't try and coach people. And I talk about this quite a lot. I'm more of a fitness instructor because I find that I don't really have the skills to be able to retrain the way people work. What I do is I tend to show them the answer and then I give them the trust and confidence to just make and take that action, that decision. And then when they do it and it works, you know, then they're like, okay, this is great. So the danger is with that, of course, is that if you don't coach someone, they never make the mistakes. They don't go through the process themselves. They don't learn it forever. So my approach is more like the PT instructor. You know, I'm, I'm moving the weights up. I'm telling you how many reps you got to do. I'm telling you to do three more. I'm, I, you know, but the moment I go, you might just revert back to going and hitting the hog and dust ice cream. And and I think a lot of ACOs have stopped working with me. Actually, go back to who they were before. Because you know, success is you know doing the right thing day in day out, and failure is doing the wrong thing day in day out. And so I'm just course correcting. I call it course correction. I have a philosophy that I believe is you know a successful philosophy, and I try and get people to understand that and embrace that and drive them down that route. But my skill, I guess, is to deal with all the different complex personalities and try and also find them the right people. Because, for example, you're a good example of this, because I find that it's very hard for me to work. I'm good at working with like agency owners, but I'm not so good at working with team members, you know, because team members do need coaching. They need a different level of empathy than I have time to give them. Apparently, I've got high EQ. I should have my EQ test done today. I'm very highly self-aware, which is great. I have empathy, but I'm probably too busy sometimes to sit down and coach over long periods of time. In fact, one of my colleagues who works with other non-execs, he says, 
I sit in board meetings with other non-execs and they spend six months trying to coach someone to do a new thing. And you come in, you just tell them to do it. And they do it. <laughs> so, but, you know, I think, so, I, like, so it's really good to bring you in to situations. For me, like, I find it hard to sometimes bring out the best in client services because they need the empathy that to relate to someone who's worked in their role before. I haven't been an account manager. I had fantastic account manager and client service in my teams. Mm. I had a really successful you know, I made, I made a lot of mistakes, but in the end, I feel like I got a successful team through making lots of mistakes. But I think, you know, it's where sometimes you've got to bring the right people in to do the job who are going to be better than you. And I'm also good at spotting that, you know. Mm. So does that answer the question? It does. It's a fantastic answer. I wasn't expecting it to be answered like that, but absolutely. And I was going to ask you another one. If you were going to start again, because I know a lot of agency leaders that are here at the moment listening will be thinking, well, Okay, so if you were going to start again, what are the things that you'd be doing differently? Like you've said you made a mistake. I'm sure a lot of us do. That's how you learn sometimes. But you're very good at shortcutting the learnings for others. So what are the top three things that you would be doing differently if you're starting again now? Well, the thing that is really obvious, and I think people sometimes, because I'm slightly more extroverted than I am introverted, so it's easy for you to say these things. But you know, Malcolm Gladwell says you've got to be 10,000 hours to be an expert. I've done 20,000 hours now, you know, helping agencies grow and another 10 growing my own. And the, the one thing I've learned is that agencies do not exist without, before even clients come on board, and even when clients do come on board, if you don't have leads coming into the business, you will not have clients, you will not have services, people, processes, profit, cash, you won't have any of those things. And so the number one thing you need to understand is how are leads generated? It's not about creating the best product in the world and then trying to figure out how you sell it. It's not. You know, you have to understand what is it the problem that you're going to solve? As a service business, that's what we do. We solve problems. What's the problem that we're solving? And how am I going to create an abundance of people wanting to work with me to do that? So the first thing is, it is for me all about that. Now to create that in today's market. So if I started tomorrow and I have this thing, there's a lot of people say, I don't know who who the person who maybe coined it, but there was a, I think it might've be someone like Jim Rohn or Tony Robbins. They said, you know, if all the wealthy people in the world lost all their money tomorrow, they'd all have it back in five years. I really firmly believe that. And it's not in a, I'm not someone who is obsessed about money at all. It's not a thing for me. But the point is, is you see how to make life easier for yourselves, you know, often as entrepreneurs and you see where the commercial opportunity is. But in today's world, what would I do? In simple terms, I've been a massive fan of Daniel Priestley. And I would first of all say, you know, read his book, Key Person of Influence. In a world full of people on social media, establish your expertise, work on your personal brand, your personal brand identity, you did it before I did. Like I, I came across you when I was just liking and sharing other people's LinkedIn posts. And, you know, I would see you there talking about client services online in video format. It was clear that you were an authority. And I think when I met you at the time, there was no other. I knew other people who did what you did, but you seemed the biggest authority because you spoke about it the most. So I'd read Key Person Influence. I'd work on my personal branding and my point of view and, and become an expert in what it is I'm looking to sell. 
And then the second thing I would just probably get some LinkedIn training and learn how to use it properly. Because if it was the top 40 charts right now for lead generation agencies, I think the fastest riser is LinkedIn. I'm very fortunate because I get to look at lots of pipelines every month. So I see where all the lead sources are. Since COVID started, LinkedIn has been one of the fastest growing areas for new business. It's now appearing regularly on, whereas generally actually Twitter, Instagram, they don't often appear on, they do, but not very often appear as lead sources in agencies. So if I started to get some more, I'd work on my personal brand. I'd work on learning how to talk about the process, to share what I'm doing, to demonstrate my expertise. And I would, I would start to build a really good network of connections because the number one way, now I've done, I ran two surveys this year, Jenny. One was the UK lead generation survey and one was the global lead generation survey. And if you take out the number two and number three way for agencies to get business is always existing clients referring other clients or existing clients leaving. But if you remove those because they're already clients, the number one way is through networking, speaking, thought leadership. And so those three areas, you need to build your connections. You need to set yourself some numbers. I mean, I used to have this thing at Blue Halo where I'd meet 50 new people each month. And I think today, it doesn't have to be new people, but meaningful conversations on a regular basis will build your pipeline. And if you build your authority, then those two things come together. So that's what I would do in a nutshell. It's such good advice. And then funny enough, I've seen quite a few posts from agency owners saying, I followed what Spencer's telling me. And this month, I'm doing my 50 phone calls and it gets results. And why do you think people resist it? Is it difficult? And why do you think agency owners don't do it? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because agency nomics isn't my first community that I set up. And when in the early days of Cactus, I had a lot of people ringing me up with who were struggling in their businesses, owners. And I set up an early stage community and I used to do these talks in there. And I used to share the philosophy that, you know, if, if you make 50 new connections a month and you understand what they do and you share what you do, and you're able to help them in some way, so build some reciprocity and not unauthentically, but genuinely, then business, you know, the more you help people, the more business will come back. And I knew that because actually when I analysed my own pipelines, you know, there was one guy who spent a million pounds with me over 10 years because I helped fix his email in 1999 when he was made redundant. And so you help people, connect to people and keep in touch. And so... I used to tell people this and I remember going to a dinner in Manchester about two years ago and I hosted an agency dinner there. And so I said, yeah, well, you're, but you're always banging on about this, meet 35 people a month and that's just impossible. And now it wasn't 50, it was 35. And I said, you know, it's Thursday. I'm in Manchester. Every day of the week, I'm in a board meeting from 10.30 till five o'clock. So that means that I've only had from 8.30 to 10.30 and maybe the evening. I said... And just want to let you know that you guys are my, I think it was the 70th people that I'd met that week because I did a speaking event the night before. In fact, you were there that week, by the way. The MAA speaking event, oh, there was yeah. about 35, 40 people there. Yeah. That was quite, that was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? It was, and yeah, yeah. I'd worked out, I'd met 70 people in four days. And, you know, the reality is there are 22 working days in the month, 21, 22 working days. If you talk to two people a day, you know, that's 44 people a month. If you can't find, you know, an hour a day to have two conversations for half an hour over Zoom, you know, with people that you used to work with, you used to go to school with, the ex-colleagues, ex-customers, 
Well, if you really want to be successful, then that's what you need to do. And by the way, everyone has a number. So although mine was 50, because if you have 50 conversations, serendipitously, you will probably find two or three opportunities. You don't find 50, you find one to three. And of those three, maybe one or two or three, one will convert. But that for me was worth about 200,000 a month when I was doing new business. But there are people I know that do 100 and they bring in maybe 40 a month. That's not a problem, but you've got to know your number because mm. everyone will have a number based on the size, the stage they're at, who they are, how they help people, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. I know this, it might sound like a silly question, but are you finding that generally, particularly younger people, prefer not to speak face-to-face or on the phone? Um, I, is it a younger person thing? I... I don't know. I've come across some people, you know, of all ages who who do and don't do it. Is it a younger thing? Possibly. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that I qualified enough or done enough research to identify whether or not. The way people work has definitely changed. But I would say, you know, I know some fantastic super connectors who are under the age of 30 who do do these things. So, So maybe not. I suppose the reason I'm asking is in my work with account managers, who always tend to be a lot, obviously a lot younger than me, I often say, well, how about picking up the phone or just call them, call them instead of, because, oh, I emailed and I said X, Y, and Z, and I got an email back and they tell me this whole story of what's happened over email. And I said, well, how about just calling them or leaving a voice message or, you know, on LinkedIn and I suppose that was the reason for my question, really. And I was just wondering, is this a trend? I mean, I, for me, I think that's, yes, I think there probably is an overarching trend as communication has changed and people can use, you know, WhatsApp or text or Snap or whatever to communicate that they don't need to ring up, pick up the phone. Interestingly enough, my son, who's 15, he talks into his phone. So they, they use Snapchat and they just send each other voice messages all the time. Right. It's easier than typing. So they comment, they commentate through games. It's like doing a phone call. So I don't know, maybe we'll go full circle, but I, you know, if I'm honest about it, even 20 years ago, maybe let's say 15, 10, 10 to 15 years ago with my client service team, you know, I'd probably be used to nagging them to pick the phone up more because anyone, as soon as email came out, it was very easy to hide behind it. It, it so, totally is. But I do think there's a lost art of communications I, I think there is a lost art of picking the phone up and I mean I think through COVID what was very exciting was all of a sudden a lot of marketing managers and clients who are quite hard to get hold of suddenly had a bit more time because they weren't commuting and actually I think a lot of people who hate networking as an example found it a lot easier to just zoom call and speak to someone than having to go into a building full of men in, or women in suits or whatever do you know what I mean that horrible mm. feeling of and they could just do it in this kind of format so but I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it, you know, it could well be a problem. And I think if you are an account manager listening to this or account director and you, you know, be different, be the 1%, be the ones that pick the phone up because that's how you're going to get cut through. If you want to be successful, you've got to do the marginal gain things. You've got to do the 1%, yeah? So you just got to find a way to overcome the fear because actually, like all things, it's scary the first time, but once you've done it... You know, it's like speaking. Everyone, I meet so many people who are scared of public speaking. But, 
you know, the reality is, is that, you know, you start off with a couple of people in your team. Say, can I test doing a talk with you two? Then you pick five and six. And, you know, one day you'll accidentally walk out like I did and there's 200 people and, you, you know, you can't even breathe. And But you do it and then you realise, oh, okay, I could do 200 now. And it just gets easier as it goes up. But you have to start somewhere, you know. I'm so glad coming from you as well. That advice was so golden. And for the creative agency account managers listening, do you have any other advice that from what you've seen, teams doing exceptionally well with their clients or making mistakes? I mean, I I don't know whether we did talk about this in much detail, but there's been a lot of, I think in the last eight weeks in particular, where are we now? We're sort of October, you know, 2020 and certainly about middle of August, Campaign Magazine started to do this kind of, it's the end of the account director, at the end of account manager. No one really sees them anymore as relevant. They're not needed. And I just don't believe that. I think that um, the problem is, because of technology now being at the heart of all marketing and advertising and agency businesses, whether you're PR or whatever, the technology is moving so fast. Business growth has become exponential too. In fact, the first time in history ever where technology has outstripped business requirements in the past technology could never keep up with business and now it's the other way around so the point is as an account director you have to be commercially aware about your client's business but you've also got to understand their business is changing rapidly because of technology so the problem is is that you have to invest so my advice would be it doesn't matter how much time your company give you to do research and learning and development You've got to make your own time in the future world. You have to do what I do. You have to get up early every morning and walk before your day starts or get in a car or whatever you're going to do. Get on a scooter now. But you've got to listen and learn about your clients' businesses and understand you know, where things are changing. You've got to be relevant or you'll just become irrelevant. You'll become commoditized. So my advice to anyone listening is, you know, there's a, a famous meme going around, you know, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates. If you're not spending five hours a week learning new things, you're not going to be relevant. I genuinely believe that. And I think, in fact, I would predict that during 2008, when the last recession hit, 2009, a huge volume of client service people got made redundant from agencies because they didn't understand digital. And what had happened in 2010 was digital come in, all they knew about was print and traditional advertising channels. Now, they all got made redundant. They all came back two years later as social media experts. That's kind of the joke of the time. They went away, realized they'd missed it all, learned about social media, came back again and got retrained. But they had to use a redundancy period to do that. The reason why I've already had five or six very senior client service directors I know been made redundant. And that's because they know the world of websites and social media but they don't know the next world of digital transformation of you know mm-hmm. machine learning they don't understand the next wave where technology is impacting on businesses so my advice would be come up with your own learning and development plan to keep yourself relevant to find your expertise to understand your client's business and don't be a victim to your company not giving you time to learn it's not about them it's about you it's about your future your career you know, you'll become more valuable to that company, to the clients, to other organizations. So don't look at it as, a, you know, oh, my company aren't paying me to get trained out of work, out of hours. Don't worry about it. Just do it. You know, I'm sure you probably did that when you were working back in the day. I always feel like I'm behind, so I can never absorb enough information. Honestly, there's not enough hours in the day. So I do have that drive to want to know more. And I have noticed that some people do have that drive and others don't. But I think that's such a good point, like invest in yourself because it's about your career. 
It's not necessarily just about the agency you're working with or the clients you're working with. Yeah, if you work harder on yourself than you do in your job, you'll always be more successful in life. Mm. That was said by Jim Rohn. And I mean, just to add, actually, once I sold my business, I went back and I I got told, because I was a little bit anti-Tony Robbins, because he's always very positive and I'm very positive. But someone told me, a good friend of mine about Jim Rohn, who was Tony Robbins' mentor, and I listened to a CD by him, CD. I mean, I've got loads of them. I still can't play them anymore. But, <laughs> you know, his philosophy back then, you know, he said things like, you know, skip a meal, but don't skip reading for an hour every day. I mean, that advice is timeless. You know, people say they don't have time, then just skip a meal and read, right? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's quite interesting. So I think, I think the advice hasn't really changed. But if you want to become more valuable in society, you need to basically invest some time in developing yourself. Do you have any preferred sources of information that you go to, like your go-to places to keep on top of things? Do you know, when I had the agency, it's very probably different to where I am now. But when I had the agency, I was, uh, you know the term maven. I'd like, I would look for mavens. So I would look for people who, uh, I read Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point, And in that book, he talked about how things go viral. And there's a maven at the beginning, someone who's kind of, knows about the future or is an evangelist for a certain trend. And then you get connectors and salespeople down there who sort of spread the word. But I used to follow certain mavens around certain areas. So who are the people that are talking about what's next? So for example, I would probably, again, I'm going to do a bit of a a Marmite thing with everyone now. Half of me would watch Gary Vaynerchuk because he's going to tell you about the next and future whether you love him or hate him, you're still going to watch him and listen. The other half of me would be watching Mr. Mark Ritson because I want to know what is the now? What should I be doing strategically? Because the smart money is knowing where the now, next and future are. So I would bring the two of those together and go, I'm listening to you guys. And you know what? I do listen to those guys now. So I, when I had my business, I was I used to follow, because I was in sports marketing. So I would look, I would often stalk the bigger, more successful sports agencies bigger, more successful sports brands, individual thought leaders and futurists in those areas. And so I, I would always look for the to get some intuition around where things were going. So I'd probably look at, you know, in, you know, look at my clients. If I was people listening now, I'd look at my clients. I'd find the thought leaders in that space. I would follow them. I'd probably look at the services we sell and I'd probably tune into who's doing the best now and who's moving forwards. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, right, to look at an agency world now. And I know Stephen Bartlett's recently left Social Chain, but like he's an agency owner. His agency's grown from zero to 800 staff in four years. Well, there's something going on there. And he just happens to be an agency owner who's an influencer. So his personal brand, his thought leadership, and same with Vaynerchuk, he's VaynerMedia. I mean, they've grown really quickly over a very short period of time mm-hmm. because of the way that they've acted in terms of their personal brand. So, so yeah, so I would, yeah, just tune into the experts. It's quite hard because there's so much information out there now. But certainly there's a lot of very good podcasts. I think McKinsey do a very good podcast talking about future of industry. So find things that really focus on now, next, the future of where you're focusing from a services and from a sector perspective. That's what my advice would be. Really amazing, brilliant advice. I usually say to people also, look at all of the management consultancy websites because they have the resource and the power, the money behind them to do these studies. And you've only got to be ahead of the curve a little bit. Do a few readings of, you know, some of the reports that are coming out around, just as you say, the client's industry, your sector, 
to be one step ahead. So that's brilliant advice. What else are you seeing trends wise? Like particularly, well, there's two questions really. One, who are the agencies or what are they doing differently that are putting them at the sort of cutting edge, maybe apart from building their personal brands? Is there anything else that they're doing differently? I think the big shift is probably organizational transformation in agencies. Uh, You know, I think COVID has been an accelerator in many ways for obviously the way the, the, the flexible first approach to working this what we call an agile distributed model where maybe agencies now are able to attract a more diverse talent pool from a wider base because you don't have to worry about you know they can everyone can hopefully work to a certain degree via video tools though i think we'll get a little bit worn down with it and probably we're craving a little bit more social face-to-face interaction now i'm saying that now i've been really quite happy you're loving it aren't you? i have been loving <laughs> even i'm this week feeling a little bit like i could just do going out with a, a group of people more than 30 and having a good time out but um good night out but so I, I think the organizational transformation so what i mean by that is i think the big shift is is seeing uh, i'm seeing less hierarchies in businesses i'm seeing more flat meritocratic structures more grown-up approaches inside businesses, you know, less bosses and management and reporting lines and more people being trusted to do their job. I'm seeing people being more open and transparent around the numbers, the communication. You know, there's more experimentation in agencies, more willing to test and try new things. So I think I'm seeing sort of a bit of a movement, I think, around the organizational structure piece. I think that's the first thing. By the way, there's nothing new to this. I mean, there when we wrote our book, you know, um, which came out two years ago and, you know, probably wrote the section three or four years ago, there's a good few global agencies where they have this hybrid model of a, a sort of a core team and then a, a, maybe a freelancer extended team. So I'm seeing some definitely some trends around that. And I've seen some trends around, I mean, I, I, I won't name check people here, but one client of mine in particular who, you know, was in a pitch against two traditional agencies. And this is an agency that only has one employee which is the managing director and the whole team is consultants experts in this particular field and they got chosen as the agency of choice for a FTSE 100 company because they preferred the model of saying look you only bring in the talent when we need it you bring in higher quality talent rather than but you see 10 years ago I I remember I was talking to a big FTSE 250 organization who crucified me because I had a contractor in and they saw on LinkedIn that they weren't working for me. So again, so there's another trend. I think the clients are maturing. The clients are going to be working more remotely. I think that means a better distribution of wealth around the UK. I think we'll start to see people who choosing agencies near where they live rather than near the central London office. So there's definitely some things. I mean, I, when people say about people giving up offices, I still say it's fairly split. I think around half of people have considered giving up the office and another half are like, nope, we still need somewhere to meet and still need somewhere to forge our culture of people. So um, I don't know, what other trends am I seeing at the moment? Do you think that the people that are being made redundant, or because obviously we're heading towards the end of the furlough yeah. period, for those in agencies that are going to unfortunately be made redundant, do you see a trend for them setting themselves up as consultants or freelancers? Yeah, I mean, the problem the problem we've got in the economy right now is we have this thing called IR35, which is very annoying, which means that basically if you're self-employed, you can't work for just one person without the company having to pay your taxes. Mm. And so 
as a self-employed contractor, yeah, you, you've got to have multiple employers and, you know, they, they scrapped, they were going to put the change to law in this year and they didn't do it. And so it needs modernizing definitely to protect people from being exploited. You know, it's, it's not a bad thing why it's been delayed and, and taken time. So yes, I think inevitably when there's a lot of redundancies, people will, like I did when I was made redundant, they, they use the opportunity to go and try and start to work for themselves and to do things. So I definitely think so. I'm going to set, make a bit of a blanket statement here, which is from what I've seen, most of the people that have been made redundant because they haven't moved with the times or, and there's a caveat, or they genuinely were affected by travel, by, because the, there's only about four or five sectors that have really been hit. I want to be really clear about this. 99% of sectors in, this, in the country are actually doing okay. Like they're not, they're not booming, but some of them are booming like SAS, but there is only really a handful of sectors that are struggling, but some agencies just unluckily had everyone in that space. But apart from that, last night there was a post, a good friend of mine works in user experience and someone asked for some user experience people. And I put a name up, a friend of mine who's just been made redundant. And that post must have had like 60 names on it by the morning. Wow. And it just goes to show how user experience has become more commoditized. And so it's almost like you've got to keep going up this value chain. But what I would say is I've not seen many people who are working, you know, quite strongly in technology in a sector that hasn't been hit by, you know, like travel or high street retail that isn't very secure in their jobs. So... Mm. I would say if people are being redundant, do take a good long look at what you're doing, where your role is, and do you need to progress it now to another area which is more future-proofed? I think that's really, really good advice. I'm just conscious of your time. We're coming up to the hour. Can you believe it? It's been so... Yeah, could talk great. to you all day, Spence. Can you tell us, what projects are you working on right now? What's exciting you? So I've got a, a couple of really big announcements coming up. We're doing a couple of partnerships, which is really exciting for me. I think the main thing is we're working on building our training library for agency owners, which I'm hoping to tap you up for some some account client there. service training in there as well. So very much, you know, that's been something we've been working on now for a couple of years. It's it's been taking a while because we're so busy to try and get done, but we are getting there. So the training stuff's really exciting for us. We've just launched some mastermind workshops, which has been almost the first time we've been able to offer people maybe a low cost access to us because obviously being on execs, you end up being a premium sort of day rate, but this is a way to make us more accessible by people with smaller budgets, but still get access to our, to our toolkits, which, which we've developed over the last nine years. Um, to be honest, I'm loving it. And it, it's just really building. We're building a team around the country. We've just taken on someone for the Northwest. I think we were traveling in the early days everywhere. And now we're realizing that actually there are better people in the regions that can do these things for us. So that's been exciting. And the community, as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, we're on our way to 800 members now. Very, very close. And the engagement, the statistics have been just honestly so good i mean the engagement rates are so high i think we score excellent on every single rating in the the analytics on the platform which is really nice and as you said at the beginning which i i'm a little bit shocked too everyone's so nice in there and it's weird because because it's free you think you'd get all of the kind of troublemakers in there totally weirdly i don't know maybe covid maybe people have got more humility maybe through this period maybe but it would really stand out if anyone wasn't nice yeah, wouldn't, on there, wouldn't it? it it would be like oh no that's not not what we do around here and it does <laughs> when your person does something you're like all right so yeah <laughs> so 
Yeah, just more world domination, really. <laughs> when it comes Basically, to I mean, yeah, just, you're definitely you know, on the way. We, we've got, yeah, we've got a few, good, good few announcements coming up. We've got some new partnerships coming in, which I think will be really exciting as well. So, yeah, no, all good. All progressing really nicely Amazing. and all good fun. So who would you like to hear from? Because obviously some people will be listening to this thinking, oh, I didn't know he did consultancy. I didn't know there was a community. What's the best way of contacting you and who'd really benefit from contacting you the most? I think if you are an agency owner or a shareholder on company's house, you know, with more than a team of three, because I, I, I'm trying to avoid having freelancers in the community because it will just become, because we do it all in our spare time, it's all run for free. So, and you've got more than three people, then please, or if your boss is that person or, you know, you're whatever, you know, someone who, who owns an agency, please point them in the direction of agencynomics.com. And, you know, if you're that person, then come in there and come along to an event and say hi to me. I think the best thing with me now these days is if you can is try and see where I'm talking, come along, listen and ask some questions. And and then maybe uh, we'll try and talk through there. And yeah, I think, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to connect to me, please send me a personal message and you'll need my email address, which is spg at cact.us. That's SPG Sierra Papa Golf or Spencer Paul Gallagher even at CACT.us. But please send me a message because I only accept people now who kind of give me a bit of a backstory and connecting. And yeah, I mean, you know, that LinkedIn is probably the best way to get hold of me. Just check out cactus.com website. You know, there's, there's an inquiry form on there. If you know anyone that might want to work with us at some stage, point them in that direction it's my that's a shameless plug i'm not really that salesy normally listen no you're not even you're not being salesy spencer you're probably one of the most generous and well networked <laughs> people i know really because you help everyone and to put your email address and contact i just think you'd be foolish not to if you're out there and you're an agency owner not to take part because there's just so much benefit and you're getting posts tagging you you think people, some people go, as I was saying, Jane, this morning, it's like the, the problem is, is that, as I said at the beginning, at the moment, I've got a couple of big agencies who are selling and a couple are sort of doing, selling it to their team. So different types of ways of selling businesses. And, and actually that takes a lot of time up. So sometimes I feel a bit like I want to make myself accessible, but eventually gets a bit hard. So don't be too offended if you want to have a uh, video call with me and you've got to wait a couple of months, but it will come around quick enough to book it in. You know, that's what I say. Absolutely. And just as I said, there's not a day that goes by without someone saying thank you to you. So you are changing lives genuinely through your work. So you must be really, really proud of that. And I just want to say a huge thank you. They say, don't they, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And I think exactly. it probably applies to your personal brand too. So, and it's only really been the last sort of few months where I've started to hear people saying nicer things. It's quite embarrassing in a way, but yeah. it's, you know, I'm grateful for the people that take time to say thank you. If I've helped, Peter, I've helped in any way or any of the guys at Cactus. And I would say, you know, it's another good lesson, really. If anyone helps you on your journey out there, have a little think and don't be afraid to say thank you to them. You know, it's just a really nice thing and people will take a lot from it if you do make the time to thank people that helped you on your journey. Totally agree and very well deserved. Thank you so much for joining me, Spencer. I really, really appreciate it. Big thank you to you. Lovely questions. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Spencer. I know that I got a lot of value from it and took down loads of notes. So I hope you've done the same. And if you're interested in joining the Agency Nomics community, then come along to community.agencynomics.com. It's a thriving community of agency owners. The only prerequisite 
is that you are an agency owner with three employees and it is a fantastic place to be. Lots of networking, lots of training, lots of advice, and it's completely free. So I look forward to seeing you there.